Let me share with you the message that I've got prepared for you. The title of the message is Three Appearances, Three Surprise Appearances of Christ. So last Sunday was Easter Sunday, and we celebrated when Jesus came out of the grave and he showed himself to his disciples and to his followers. But when he showed himself to them, he, he picked these certain times when he showed up. And in the book of John, there were three appearances where he showed up unannounced. It was a complete surprise. The disciples actually freaked out all three times. And I want to talk to you about those moments, those moments when Jesus just surprised them and showed up. The first one is in John chapter 20. Uh, the, Jesus had not appeared to the disciples yet. This was his first time. The disciples were sitting in a room. And, and the Bible says in John chapter 20 that they were sitting in a room and the door was locked. Okay, so they were actually hiding in that room. Why were they hiding? Well, the people that crucified Jesus were actually looking for the followers of Jesus because they were going to crucify them too if they continued to proclaim the name of Jesus. So the disciples, they were hiding in this room. They were very afraid. You could say that they were, um, they, they didn't want to move. They didn't want to be in public. So Jesus steps through the wall. Can you imagine that, right? Jesus steps through the wall. The disciples flip out. They look at him. They can't believe what they're seeing. And Jesus says, the first words out of his mouth is he says, fear not. Don't be afraid. Don't be afraid. I love that he says that because he could see right past, you know, their poker face. Maybe they were sitting there like, oh, okay, I'm okay. I'm okay. I'm okay. He could see their hearts and he could tell that they were afraid. And he says, don't be afraid. And then he says something very, very powerful. He says this, and this is in John chapter 20, verse 21. He says, just as the Father has sent me, so I am sending you. And then he breathed on them. He, he literally just kind of, he blew on them. And he said, receive the Holy Spirit. Man, I mean, think about that. What he's saying is he's saying the same assignment that I had while I was on this earth is now your assignment. And that wasn't just to the disciples. That's actually to you and to I and to, to myself. In John chapter 14, verse 12, it says this. Those who believe in me shall do the same works that I have done. And so he's commissioning the disciples. He's saying, look, I don't want you to be afraid anymore. Stop being nervous. Stop being afraid. Your life is an assignment. If this is the only thing that you hear me say this morning is this, your life is an assignment. It's not an accident. You're not one of, of a million, billion people on the planet just wandering around. Your specific life, the, your DNA, what you like has been picked by God. Your life is an assignment. In fact, in Isaiah chapter 49, verse 1, it says this, Before you were born, 
he called your name. While you were in your mother's womb, he spoke to you. Can you believe that? And so here Jesus is inside of this room and he says, don't be afraid. He says, I am sending you with the same assignment God the Father sent me with. I just want to let you know that he was trying to give them courage. He was saying, enough with the fear. Have some courage. Dig your heels in. Have some courage. I've called you with a purpose. Did you know that fear is actually a spirit? In 2 Timothy chapter 1, verse 7, it says this, I have not given you, God has not given you a spirit of fear, but of power, love, and a sound mind. Fear is a spirit. And fear has cousins called stress and worry and anxiety. So don't ever forget, fear is a spirit. And so when Jesus surprised the disciples on that day, he was actually telling them this, have courage, stop being afraid, don't be worried, be strong in everything you do. I'm with you, I'm sending you on an assignment, get rid of the fear, shake it off, I'm sending you with an assignment. Sometimes we got to hurry up and be aggressive to overcome the fear. I, uh, for, uh, for those of you uh, that are not in the woodlands, uh, our church is in the woodlands. And I just want to let you know that I think that there are 7 million raccoons in the woodlands. Okay, I, I really believe that. In my neighborhood, um, there's a street gang of raccoons. A street gang. I think they have colors and everything. Because every single morning I wake up is what I feel like. Every single morning there's trash in front of my garage like crazy. Because these raccoons are like Houdini. I can put locks. I can wrap my trash can up with chains and locks. They will still get in that trash can. They will eat everything in the trash can and leave a mess everywhere. One day I called up a friend of mine. His name is Greg. I called up Greg and I said, Greg, I, I, I don't, I don't shoot. I don't, I'm not a gun guy. I'm the only one in Texas that probably doesn't carry a gun, but I, I'm not a hunter. Uh, I'm not Davy Crockett. I'm not looking to kill a raccoon and, and make a hat out of it. What am I supposed to do with these things? And he says, well, there's this certain trap. It's called have a heart trap. I don't know if that's the official name, but that's the name that he told me. And so I went, I went to Academy or, and I got me a have a heart trap. And the way the have a heart trap works, and again, I don't know if that's really the name, okay? Um, but is it's like this, this door that they can kind of walk over, and then when they eat the bait, chocolate chips or something, they eat the bait, the door behind them closes, and they're trapped in this rectangular type of cylinder. And so I set it out one night, this have a heart trap. And, and I, I set it out and I, I put like, um, M&Ms in there. The next morning I caught a raccoon and this cute little raccoon. Oh my goodness. His, his tail was curled around. He had these, his, his face looked like he was wearing this little mask. And I started, I walked up to the trap 
And I said, oh, you cutie, 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 cutie. And I started calling my kids. Presley, Luke, come over here. I caught a raccoon. I was so excited. I was so happy. I had never caught a raccoon. I've never been close to a raccoon. I don't know anything about raccoons. The only thing I know is that they're super cute. What I didn't know is that they were demon-possessed. If you have never been close to a raccoon, let me save you some time. Raccoons are demon-possessed. I'm just telling you, it's not in the Bible, but take my word for it, okay? I walked over to that trap. I reached down to grab it because there's a little handle. As soon as I got close to that trap, the raccoon looked up at me and he goes, I freaked out. I jumped back. I called up Greg. I said, Greg, what am I supposed to do with this, this trap? What am I supposed to do with this raccoon? And he said, you need to grab that trap and show that raccoon who's boss. I said, well, that is actually the problem because I don't know who's boss. And so I had to, I got my kids looking at me, daddy, what are we going to do? And I thought about maybe the raccoon can just live there. You know, I don't move the trap and, and I'll just kind of roll him some biscuits every once in a while and we can live happily ever after. And so obviously that wasn't a realistic plan. And so I literally had to back up and, and get pumped up. I was like, whoo, 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 whoo. and I ran over and I, I, ah, and I grabbed the cage and I started screaming at the raccoon. Ah, who's your daddy? Who's your daddy? And so I'm, I'm pumping myself up, grabbing this raccoon. Sure enough, as I shook the cage and yelled, who's your daddy? <laughs> For those of you that don't know me, just know I have problems, okay? Who's your daddy, raccoon? And I'm shaking it, and all of a sudden, the raccoon started to die down. He curled up, and I started feeling like I was 12 feet tall all of a sudden. I never forgot that moment, because sometimes I'll whisper to myself, Frankie, you better hurry up and get aggressive so you can stop being afraid. I want to let you know, sometimes we have got to stay aggressive so that we can break ourselves out of being full of worry, being full of fear. Action kills worry. You have to remember that. The aggressive people will overcome, aggressive people overcome fear, worry, concern through action. It, there's during times like the quarantine that we're in right now, where we're all in our houses and our homes and our apartments. Sometimes we can back up and say to ourselves, how do I stay in the flow of, of my life and continue to fulfill the assignment that God has for me without kind of getting lost in this quarantine and, and just end up in a corner in my house? Always remember this, aggressive prayer and unconditional love will keep you in the will of God. Even if you're locked up in your house, if you're locked up into, even when you get out of quarantine and you're living a normal life again, aggressive prayer and unconditional love 
will keep you in the will of God. That's what Jesus was telling these disciples. He's saying, don't have a spirit of fear. You have the same assignment I do. And that's to spread the good news. So point number one is this. On that first, that first surprise visit from Jesus, he was saying, stay aggressive. Stay aggressive. Stop being afraid. Stay aggressive. And then there was the second surprise appearance. Now, this time the disciples were in a room again. The door was locked. You can read about all this in John chapter 20. The disciples were sitting there, except there was one element that was different. This time Thomas was there. You see, the first time Jesus showed up, all the disciples were there except for Thomas. Jesus showed back up. He stepped back into the room and he looked over at Thomas. Now, in the church world, people call Thomas Doubting Thomas. It's almost like that word doubt has become like a stamp on his life because he could not get over the fact that Jesus, who he was hanging all of his hopes on, died on a cross. And then when they came back and said, he's risen again, he's risen again, he was like, no, I saw him die. I saw the nails in his hand. I saw the soldier pierce his side He's not alive. There's no way I can believe what you're telling me. People don't come back from the dead. And so Jesus shows up and he locks eyes with Thomas. And I hope this encourages you because it encouraged me. He looks at this this gentleman who's full of doubt. He's, he's not even trying to deny it. Sometimes when our faith is low, we kind of try to lead other people to believe that we're still full of faith, even though we're not. It, Thomas wasn't even trying to hide it. He was like, I don't believe this. But yet he still showed up. He still showed up in spite of the fact that he didn't believe it. He still got around the disciples in spite of the fact that he was wrestling with doubt. He was still pursuing Jesus in spite of the fact that he was full of doubt. Jesus shows up into the room. He makes eyes contact with Thomas and he tells him, Thomas, come here. Take your hands and put it on my scars. Now watch this. Jesus begins to pull back his robe and lifts up and says, take your hand and put it right here where the, where the spear pierced me. Wow. You know what I was thinking about? Thomas experienced something that no one else had ever, ever experienced. Jesus gave Thomas an opportunity that no one else received. Only Thomas received the invitation of saying, hey, do you want to touch these scars? Do you want to touch these scars? And you may say, why the privilege? Why wouldn't you give the privilege to, you know, the faithful guy over there that didn't have any doubt? Here's the principle. Jesus looks at people who doubt and he smiles and he rewards people who doubt 
with a special relationship, a special experience that nobody else has. Doubters that continue to pursue Jesus are rewarded. Let me say that again, just in case you're taking notes inside that app. Doubters that continue to pursue Jesus are rewarded. In Matthew chapter 6, verse 6, it says this, when you pray, get alone by yourself, shut the door behind you, worship to your father in secret, for your father who sees everything will reward you. When he sees you and I having moments of doubt and we continue to pray, we continue to worship. One of my, he looks down and says, I see you worshiping even though you have doubt. See, faith is not the absence of doubt. It's the presence of of belief. When he looks down and says, and he sees you and he sees me wrestling to believe, he backs up and says, look, you're pursuing me, even though thoughts of doubt is crossing your mind right and left. Son, daughter, I'm going to reward you for that. Now, the third time uh, he surprised, this was the third time that he showed up in front of the disciples. He showed up and he was actually on the beach. Um, it's not really a beach like Miami, Florida. It was uh, on the sand along the Sea of Galilee. See, the disciples were out in a boat and they were fishing and they were having a rough day. They were, have, they were fishing a lot like Frankie, uh, Frankie fishes me. Uh, when I go fishing, I go, I, I go home with as many fish as I left home with. Right? I just cast. I don't fish. I just throw it out there. And every cast is like, okay, this is going to be the one. This is going to be the one. And I still don't get anything. That's the kind of morning they were having. They were casting. This is the one. This is the one. Nothing. This is the one. Nothing. Casting it out. This is the one. Nothing. All of a sudden, the disciples hear this guy on the beach, and he says, Hey, boys, throw the net on the other side of the boat. Now, these disciples grew up fishing. They grew up fishing. So no doubt the first thought that they thought was, Hey, crazy Oh man, leave us alone. We know what we're doing. But they threw it on the other side of the boat anyway. They didn't know. They didn't recognize that that man on the beach wasn't just some old man. It was Jesus. It was Jesus saying, hey, I'm here. It was a surprise appearance. They threw the net on the other side. They caught, and the Bible says, 153 large fish. Wow. Large fish. Not just any fish. Not like a little Nemo. Large fish. They caught, and, and it says that the net didn't break. All of a sudden, Peter, on the boat, looks out, and he realizes, that's Jesus. And he dives in the water. He starts swimming like he's, he's running from something, like he's doing some kind of Iron Man. He's swimming to the beach. He's swimming. He gets to the beach. Now, here's my thought. Why is he throwing himself out there? This is the third time he's seen Jesus since the resurrection. 
He didn't act like that the first time. He didn't act like that the second time. Why is he acting like that the third time? Well, when you begin to read the chapter, you begin to see that Jesus knew that Peter needed to have a particular conversation with him that Peter did not bring up in the first or the second appearance. See, Jesus knew that Peter was still carrying around guilt and shame for leaving Jesus when Jesus may have needed him the most. See, when Jesus was being crucified and he was being beat, Peter became afraid and he ran off. And so he was still carrying that guilt and carrying that shame. And we know that because all of a sudden Jesus sat down and the Bible says this, after breakfast, after they ate, Jesus looks over at Peter and he gives him the opportunity to say what he knew Peter needed to say. He looks at him and he says, hey, Peter, do you still love me? And Peter had been waiting for this opportunity. He said, oh, yes, yes, I still love you. Peter needed to say that. In fact, as you read that chapter, Peter said that three times. He said, yes, I love you. Yes, I love you. Yes, I love you. And what is so interesting to me is that it becomes obvious as you read that chapter that all the guilt and all the shame went away just as soon as Peter began to say, I love you. They didn't need to go down memory lane. Jesus didn't have to walk through every step. Well, why did you do this? And why did you do that? And you promised me you'd do this, but you ended up doing that. Jesus didn't have to have that conversation. The only thing he wanted to hear was, I love you. And all of the guilt and all of the burden that Peter was was carrying, it all went away the moment he began to say, I love you. Always remember this. The words I love you cannot be replaced by any other words. Don't ever forget that. During the heaviest seasons of your life, during the seasons of your life where you may feel the most depressed or the most discouraged or the most overwhelmed, you don't have to do anything except whisper those words, I love you. I love you. And we can even follow Peter's model where he says, I love you. I love you over and over again. Sometimes in my own prayer time, I'll say that a thousand times in a row. I'll just say, I love you. I love you. I love you. Now, some of you may be saying, Frankie, that's a pretty boring prayer. I'm sure Moses or Abraham or, or David probably was far more eloquent Look, friends, we can have every single word at our demand and it still won't be more important than the words, I love you. You can say a thousand words to the Lord and they will never mean more than those three words, I love you. That third appearance was 
Peter's opportunity to take all the guilt, to take all the shame off, to shake it off and to begin to draw a line in the sand and start walking forward and start a new chapter with Jesus. And all of that happened the minute he said, I love you, I love you, I love you. I want to let you know that it doesn't matter what mistakes you've made in your life. It doesn't matter what regrets you have in your life. The only thing the Lord wants to hear from you is... I love you. If you feel like there's a stress, a burden that you're carrying and a worry that you have, I promise you, if you begin to tell the Lord, I love you, it may not fix all of your problems straight away. It may not solve all of your relationship issues and financial concerns. It may not solve them all. But what it will do is it will begin to bring peace to your heart that passes understanding. A spirit of peace will begin to come into your home and to come into your heart and begin to take over. Now, there was one last conversation that Jesus wanted to have with Peter before he walked off. This was the third appearance. They're still on the beach. They just had breakfast. And all of a sudden, Jesus looks at Peter and he says this, Peter, when you were younger, you could get yourself dressed. You could go wherever you wanted to go. You could walk wherever you wanted to walk. But I just want to let you know, there's coming a day when you're not going to be able to do whatever you want to do because people are going to grab you and they're going to force you to go to a place that they want you to go, not where you want to go. And what he was trying to say to him is you're going to die a horrible death. People are going to grab you and they are going to drag you and you are going to die because of your faith in me. Now, what's so interesting is Peter was spooked in a moment. He just found out how he was going to die. I don't know about you, but if somebody told me how I was going to die, I don't even know how I would respond. But it's interesting how Peter responds he hears him and he says, well, what about John? How's he going to die? <laughs> like, like, what about him? How's he going to die? I find that so comical. For those of you that know about Peter and all the crazy things that he did, this is right up there towards the top. He just found out that he's going to die a horrible death and he's like, well... Is he going to die? Is he going to have a horrible death as well? And Jesus said something that just kind of causes my heart to vibrate. He says this. He goes, if I allow John to live forever, what difference does it make to you? In other words, in the Frankie International version of the Bible, hey, Peter, mind your own business. Mind your own business. The plans that I have for you are different from my plans that I have for him. So mind your own business. See, the minute Peter had this tendency to focus on the Lord and then start focusing on other things. Then he'd go back to focusing on the Lord and then he'd start focusing on other things. I'll give you real a, a few quick examples. One time he got out of the boat and he was walking on water and he was doing really good. And then he started focusing on the wind and then he said, 
thank. During the Last Supper, he was focused on the Lord. He says, I'll never leave you. And then as soon as people started to attack Jesus, Peter took his attention off of Jesus and started looking at the Roman soldiers. And all of a sudden, things started going very bad for him. When Jesus was walking on the beach, he said, Hey, Peter, I just want you to know, you're going to die a horrible death because of what you're going to do for me. You're going to be preaching for me. You're going to have faith in me. You're going to be proclaiming the good news about me. And consequently, you're going to die a horrible death. And then once again, Peter took his eyes off Jesus and said, Well, what about John? And so Peter had this pattern of putting his attention on the Lord and then looking around. And Peter, Jesus looked at Peter and said, hey, mind your own business. In the, uh, and again, another way you could say it is, hey, Peter, stay in your lane. Stay in your lane. You pay attention to your work. Let me tell you how Paul said it in Galatians chapter 6, verse 4. He said, pay careful attention to your own work so that you get the satisfaction of a job well done and you won't have to compare yourself to others. Let me just share with you. When you start looking at how other people are doing, when you start looking at how of what the news is saying, if this person is doing better than you are, if this person's making more money than you are, if this person has a better job than you do, is Fox News saying that? Is CNN News saying that? Look, here's the thing. Let's keep our eyes locked on the Lord. Let's keep our heart locked on the Lord. And if we pay careful attention to our own work, then we will have the satisfaction of a job well done. See, Jesus had three surprise appearances. First, he showed up to the disciples and he encouraged them. And then he showed up to the disciples when Thomas was there and he encouraged them again. And then a third time, he shows up on the beach and encourages them once more. See, Jesus never paid attention to the Romans. He never paid attention to the religious leaders that were out to get the disciples. He never paid attention to the people that were attacking them. The only thing that he stayed focused on was the goal. He stayed focused on the vision. I like that scripture that says this, that because of the joy set before him, it's in Romans chapter 12, verse 2, where Jesus says this, where the scriptures say this, Because of the joy set before him, the Lord endured the cross and despised its shame. Jesus kept the joy before him. How did he stay on the cross? Why didn't he just say, forget this cross, I'm going to heaven. How did he endure the cross? How did he endure the shame? He kept the joy before him. He kept the joy, the vision of living in eternity with you. He kept that in mind and that kept him on the cross. He's saying, I'm going to pay for these sins so that I can live in eternity with my son and with my daughter forever and ever and ever. If there's one takeaway that you want to take from this message is that Jesus still appears in our room. Jesus still tells us, 
Don't worry. Don't be afraid. Jesus is still saying, keep your eyes on me. I want you to know that the Lord loves you. Let me pray for you. May the Lord bless you. May he keep you. May he keep his faith and favor upon you and bless you and overtake you and watch over your children and keep you full of peace. In Jesus' name, amen. 